real situations. It's important to keep in mind as we study 2 Timothy that correct doctrine is not simply about being right. But rather, correct doctrine matters in how we approach, how we affect, how we respond to every day's life circumstances. My desire is to bring 2 Timothy to life. We might live it and breathe it. That we might identify with Paul in some things, identify with Timothy in some things, have empathy with them in all things, and profit in everything. I'm praying that this series would truly be life-transforming for all of us. Not to be overly dramatic, but as a result, I want us to be strengthened in the innermost being. To be more of what God wants us to be. And so, as we enter into the series, I'm going to ask you to do some things. The first is that I'm going to ask you to read 2 Timothy repeatedly. Read it over and over and over again, and as often as you can, read it in one sitting. Get to know it inside and out. Then meditate upon it. And the better you know 2 Timothy, the more these messages are going to mean to you. Secondly, I would ask that you pray before you come. Pray for me, pray for yourself, that God would truly meet with us, that God would open our hearts to receive his truth, and then come Sunday mornings expecting God to do a work in us. So let's begin by praying together. Lord, we ask for your spirit to work among us. We know that the study of your word is more than just a mere academic exercise. Lord, uh, it is life-giving, it is life-breathing, but only as your spirit works and moves. So, Lord, we come and ask that you would be pleased to reveal yourself more and more to us through your word as you open your heart, our hearts and minds to your truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul. We begin by considering Paul's circumstance. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison in Rome. I'm going to be all over this book. I'm going to try to bring it together in a, a meaningful way. So you're going to have to bear with me and uh, flip the pages. But we begin looking at 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. Paul is in prison in Rome, but this imprisonment is a later imprisonment than what we found in the book of Philippians. And there are some notable differences in these imprisonments. In Philippians, Paul is anticipating release from imprisonment, and he was released. Here, Paul anticipates that his imprisonment is going to end in death. And it does end in death. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, it states, For I'm ready, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure, meaning his death, is, has come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my, the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, 
there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall award to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. Therefore, Paul is in prison, as he had been many times. But this imprisonment was different. It was going to end differently. And he is going to approach it differently. Secondly, we're going to consider Paul's condition. First, his physical condition. He may be cold, or at least anticipating being cold, if you look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with you, left with Carpus at Troas. The word for cloak here is a very heavy winter coat. The Apostle Paul may be cold, or he may be anticipating the cold. We find in verse 21 of chapter 4, do your best to come before winter. So it isn't winter yet, but it could be late fall. And the nights could have been extremely chilly. I want you to to picture. I think it's important to to identify, to, to empathize with the Apostle Paul. Think of this man sitting in a cell, huddled, shivering, as he awaits his fate. A cold, miserable, unpleasant condition. Paul is bound in chains, 2 Timothy 2.9, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Many of Paul's imprisonments were more like house arrests. He was placed in a, a room, but given a pretty amount, much amount of freedom. This is quite different. He is in leg irons. He is sitting there chained to a wall. He has limited movement. He's weighed down by those iron, irons. His body is bruised and sore from the physical restraints as they dig into his ankles and wrists. He describes himself as suffering. Look at 2 Timothy 2.9. By which I am suffering. Suffering. So easy to read over those, those words, isn't it? But stop and look at how Paul describes this imprisonment. This is his condition. This is his daily existence. This is what life is like for Paul. It's miserable. He says, I'm suffering in these chains. Paul knows anguish. Paul knows heartache. Paul knows misery. He understands physical problems. He understands how life can get tough. But there's not only the physical condition, there's also Paul's emotional condition, which I am describing as complex. It is complex. What ultimately describes his emotional condition is that he is extremely, extremely, extremely lonely. 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, Luke alone is with me. But what 
really brings this condition to its apex is why it is that Paul is alone. He gives a number of reasons of why Paul is alone and lonely. Okay, as he sits in this, this cell, suffering, he's all alone. The first reason Paul is alone is because some people have become indifferent to the faith and have simply turned their backs upon Paul. Notice 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Now, let's talk about Demas for a moment. He is described as being in love with this present world. He is more concerned about his physical comfort than he is about Paul's sufferings. He's more concerned about his own neck than he is with Paul's coming death. He is concerned about his own emotional and physical well-being. Now, who is this Demas? Well, Demas is one of Paul's co-workers. He's mentioned first in the book of Colossians. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And Demas is referred to specifically in the book of Philemon as a co-worker of Paul. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So he was a, a fellow worker, <clears throat> not a mere acquaintance, not just some professor of faith, but he is a person who has traveled with Paul. He is a, a person who has put his back to the plow. He is a spiritual leader in the church. And he deserted him. He abandoned him. He left him, not to do ministry, but because he fell in love with the things of the present world. Boy, doesn't that teach us something? Doesn't that help us to understand we ought to be on guard? That even those that are faithfully serving God can lose sight of what they're about and what they're doing and the importance of their, their service, importance of their ministry before God. And he deserted Paul. Not only did he desert Paul, but notice what else it tells us about him. But just a simple little statement, and that is he went to Thessalonica. Now, I just finished, two quarters ago, a study on the book of, Sec uh, 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 book of Thess Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were new converts. They were individuals that Paul was extremely concerned about in his absence, that they would continue on with their faith and they would grow. Paul wrote with great urgency that they would continue on in their faith and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's this church that's young in their faith that Paul is worried about, and who goes there? Demas goes there. Paul must be sitting in his cell wondering, what's going to happen when Demas shows up? What are they going to think? Here's this spiritual leader who's packed it in. And I'm urging them to be faithful. 
Here's someone who's turned their back on me. What is the church going to think about all of this that's taking place? So Demas forsook him because he loved the things of the world. Then he is alone because people have abandoned Paul and did not want to suffer with him. 2 Timothy 4.16 At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Now these are Christians that Paul is talking about. These are not necessarily his co-workers, but these are people that I've identified with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were people that have professed faith. These are individuals that Paul had ministered to and come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were Christians who were his friends. But when Paul is charged, when Paul stands before the seat of government for preaching the gospel, he says in verse 16, at my first defense, at my first hearing, no one came to stand by me. Nobody showed up to support me. Nobody showed up to defend me. Nobody showed up to see what would happen to me. Everybody left me alone. These Christians failed him miserably. Notice in verse 16, he says, but all deserted me. It's the exact same word that is used of Demas. Demas deserted him, these deserted him. It means to forsake, to abandon, to leave them all alone. The reasons were different, but the effect was the same. He was still alone. But the response of Paul is not that he's angered or that he is upset or that he is wanting to get even because of their miserable, dastardly forsakenness. Notice in verse 16, at the end, he prays for them. May it not be charged against them. May God not hold them accountable. May God not judge them. May God not afflict them. He doesn't want anything hurtful or harmful to come to them. He's gracious to them. But he's still alone. He's still suffering. They're still not there. Then, he is alone because there are those that are carrying on faithfully the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those that have left presumably to minister. If you look at the end of verse 10, it says, For Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted from me and gone to Thessalonica. And then it just simply says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. There's no reason to think that these have deserted him. I would submit to you that they probably went to these places, places to minister. But we know specifically, at least, in verse 12, Second, I'm at 2 Timothy 4.12. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. 
So the reason that Tychicus isn't there is because somebody has to minister at Ephesus, and Tychicus is the guy. So Paul dispatches him. So here we see a suffering, lonely individual that still is thinking selfishly. He's not selfish. And he's concerned about the work of God. Rather than keep Tychicus by his side, he says, you go. You minister. You serve. I'll be all right. I'm all alone. Timothy also fits the category of those that are not with Paul because he is faithfully serving and carrying out his ministry. So that brings us to consider Paul's concern for Timothy. Paul writes a letter to Timothy while in prison. This is it. Second Timothy. In this letter, Paul conveys his circumstances to Timothy that we just described. And there's much more as we'll work through this book. But it gives you a taste. And Paul sends a request to Timothy. Look at verse 9 of chapter 4. Excuse me, chapter 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. Do your best to come to me soon. That's one of the, the primary reasons for writing this book. To tell Timothy, come. And don't dilly-dally. Come soon. Come quickly. Timothy means much to Paul. If you look at 2 Timothy 1-2, it says, To Timothy, my beloved child. Those aren't mere words. Timothy had a unique relationship to Paul. Like a father to a son. That's how Paul describes him again in Philippians, if you remember. He said, I have no one like him, Paul said. He writes him and says, you're my beloved child. Come quickly. Who do you want to see when you're suffering? want to see when you're just about to die? Who do you want to come to you when you're all alone and forsaken? Somebody who's precious. Somebody who's dear. Somebody that means more to you than anyone else. There's no one alive that's closer to Timothy than, excuse me, than Paul than to Timothy. So he says to Timothy, come, come. Paul longs to see Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy 1.4. As I remember your tears, he says, I long to see you. I long to see you. Again, it's so easy to read over these words, but just stop. And think, I, I long to see you. It means 
that that's what he is desirous above all things. It, it means that this is on his heart and mind, night and day. Oh, if only Timothy were here, how different this situation would be. Longing. Can you just see here the aching heart of a lonely, innocent man sitting in a cold prison who has been deserted and mistreated even by God's people? A person who is awaiting the sentence of death, saying to Timothy, come quickly. I've been reading this book over and over and over again. I've read it over 80 times in one sitting in preparation for these messages. And I've gotten to the point I can't read this book anymore without weeping. My admiration for Paul has just grown immensely. He's a man, he's not God. But that's one of the things that made me so respond. What a response. The way this man handles all that he's going through, all that he's experiencing. Want to learn from that. Want to learn from that. The reason he wants to see Paul, is, uh, Timothy, is because he's precious to him. He says in verse 4, I long to see you. I'm in 2 Timothy 1.4. I long to see you. Not just for companionship. It's Timothy that he's longing to see. Why? He said, I remember your true concern for me. Notice verse 4, as I remember your tears. When Timothy left Paul, it was a tearful goodbye. It was a heart-wrenching goodbye. It was an emotional goodbye. They can see bleak days ahead. They understand that things weren't going well. Paul could see the handwriting on the wall. But Timothy had to go minister. And just like Tychicus, whom Paul had sent away, he had sent away Timothy to minister. And now he says to Timothy, it's time for you to come back. Why? Look at the end of verse 4 of chapter 2. Oh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.4. 2 Timothy 1.4. That I may be filled with joy. That this burden would be lifted. That this loneliness would dissipate. That this suffering would turn to joy. Seeing you would make all the difference, Paul says. Here we find how important people are to us, and how we can have an incredible impact on other people's lives. It teaches us how we can get through difficulties and hardships by having just one person who really cares, one person who will really come alongside, 
and be a help. Paul closes the letter with another appeal to Timothy to come to him quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 21. He writes, Do your best to come before winter. Why? Well, he needs the cloak. He's already cold. Winter's coming. Bring him the cloak. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that. He might not even, not even make it to winter. He may not live that long. He wants to see Timothy. And there's more to it than just simply wanting to see him. He's got a lot to tell him yet. Which brings us to the fourth statement. We considered Paul's physical conditions. We've considered his emotional condition. But what about his spiritual condition? How's Paul doing spiritually? All right, emotionally, suffering and alone. But how is he spiritually? Here's a great lesson. Okay? Just because you're suffering, and just because you're lonely, doesn't mean you can't do well spiritually. And it teaches something about what spirituality really is. Spirituality isn't that I'm always happy. Spirituality isn't that I'm always in the best place in life. Spirituality isn't running away from chains. Spirituality isn't pretending that everything is fine when it isn't. So what is spirituality? That's, that's one of the most important aspects of this book. We're going to unpack so much, but just, just a teaser this morning. First, how's he doing? He's strong in his faith. He's strong in his faith. He has taken stock. He, he looks back upon his life. And he has lived his life without regret. And he can look back and be thankful. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Here's the summary. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. I hung in there. I did all that God wanted me to do. I didn't run. And I still believe. I still trust. I'm doing well. Why is that important to understand? Because Paul didn't look at his troubles as God's judgment upon him. His view wasn't, you know, if I'm faithful to God, then everything will be fine. And so now he says, what went wrong? I was faithful. And now I'm alone and suffering. No. No, because he, he understands what spirituality is all about. 
And we'll unpack that, but that's for another day. Rather, Paul anticipates the joy of being with the Lord. Look at verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those that love his appearing. That righteous God is going to reward me for all that I have gone through. He is pleased with my service. Paul continues to trust in the Lord. He knows that God is sovereign and is not defeated. Look at 2 Timothy 2.9. 2 Timothy 2.9. For which I am suffering. He's talking about uh, the gospel. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. They can put me in leg irons, but they can't put the word of God in leg irons. They can throw me into prison, but they can't put the word of God into prison. They can stop me, but they can't stop the work of God. It's going forward. And a large part of the book of 2 Timothy is preparing Timothy to take on the work. I'm about to die. You've got to take it over. And you need to teach faithful men who can teach others also, because you're not always going to be around. It's about passing on the faith from one generation to, one ge to the next generation. And so Paul is assured that when he dies and goes to be with the Lord, that the church isn't going to fall apart. For the word is not bound. Men deserted Paul, but God was faithful. Look at with me at 2 Timothy Four. Second Timothy four, starting with verse sixteen. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it be not charged against them. Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Everybody deserted me, but God didn't desert me. But do you understand the wisdom and the spiritual maturity to understand the distinction? That just because people fail me doesn't mean God has failed me. He doesn't blame God for those that have deserted him. It's not God's fault. And not only does he not blame God for the circumstances, but he actually is comforted in what God is doing. And realizes that though everyone else forsook him, God was right there by his side. And he said, God strengthened me so that the gospel would be preached, which means that, that Paul didn't buckle under. 
He's going to be put into prison for preaching the gospel. Paul is going to be put to death for preaching the gospel. And Paul says that when I stood before those people, God strengthened me so the gospel would go forth. And like Martin Luther, who was given the opportunity to recant, stood before the council instead said, here I stand, I can do no other. Paul said, the gospel was preached. God strengthened me. Paul is confident that the Lord had delivered him in the past. Notice verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the sentence might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Okay, so at this point he wasn't condemned to the lions. And we know all about Rome and the gladiators and the lions and all those things. And Paul said, I, I wasn't at that point. Condemned to the lions. But, in the future, he is going to be put to death. And Paul is now confident that the Lord will preserve Paul's spiritual life in the future. Notice verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. When he says that the Lord is going to rescue me from every evil deed, he's not looking now for release from prison. He's looking at entrance into his kingdom. They may be able to take his physical life, but they can't take his spiritual life. They may be able to burn his body, but they can't burn his soul. And he is confident that the God who delivered him physically in the past is going to be the very same God who now is going to deliver him spiritually into the future. And he says, I'm going to enter your presence just fine. Just fine. I'll be okay. Some concluding thoughts. Can you identify with all or any of Paul's concerns, what he's going through? Have you ever been unjustly accused in life of something that you are now suffering for innocently? Have you ever been disappointed with people who are serving the Lord and no longer are? People that let you down, spiritual leaders that fall in love with the things of this world. Have you ever experienced Christian friends who are not there when you needed them? Some because of spiritual indifference. Some because they have just grown to love the things of the world. Some because they're afraid themselves. Some because they were away faithfully ministering. Sometimes the people we love the most are not there because they are serving God.
Have you ever been in a situation of great trial and wish so badly that a loved one was with you? Have you ever known an intense loneliness? And you just long for that person to come. And they can't come fast enough. Have you ever had to look at your approaching death in the eye? Knowing that the end of your life has come. You're just about to die. If you ever experienced any of these or more, then I say to you, that we have a lot we can learn from the book of 2 Timothy. How did Paul cope? How did he remain true to the faith? What enabled Paul to forgive those who had treated him so badly? Those people that had deserted him, and now he's all alone and suffering. And he says to God, don't lay it to their charge. How can we forgive those that have treated us so miserably? That's the book of 2 Timothy. Don't you want to learn that? How did Paul explain those that had departed from the faith? How do you explain those that one day are walking with the Lord and actually are leading others and then turn their back on the things of God, and walk away. What do you do with that? That's the book of 2 Timothy. That's what Paul writes to Timothy about. Why, when so lonely, would Paul send away Tychicus to another place? Why didn't he keep him there? That's the book of 2 Timothy. That's a soldier. One who's suffering affliction. Putting the work of God first. Have you ever struggled with that? How was Paul going to counsel Timothy? Next week we're going to look at Timothy. Just like we looked at Paul. Then we're going to start exegeting the book. But how's he going to help Timothy, who we find in this book is afraid? Think of the tremendous shoes that Timothy has to fill. He's going to take over the Apostle Paul's responsibilities. What is he, words of wisdom, does he have to say to Timothy? How does he prepare him for this, for this work? How do we go about ministering to other people when we see our ministry coming to a close? How, as you grow older, do you talk to your children and grandchildren about passing on the faith? Paul talks about Timothy and his mother and his grandmother and the faith they passed on to him. Have you ever been concerned about passing on your faith to the next generation? The book of 2 Timothy is for you. May God 
use this book to transform us as a people of God. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray, I, I pray, Lord, that you would open your word to us, open our hearts and minds to this great, great book. Help us to learn to be the people that you want us to be. Help us to grow and mature that, that we can be like the Apostle Paul and pass on that very precious faith in ministry and in family. Teach us from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a, a song that I've also grown to love by the Martins entitled The Promise. And many of the thoughts that, that I conveyed to you actually are conveyed in this, this song in a really uh, wonderful way. And so in response, instead of singing a particular hymn, I've asked uh, Ricky Herb to come and sing this song to us. And, and I would really encourage you to think about these words and how much they reinforce what I was talking about this morning. So, Ricky, thank you, and if you would come. <laughs> 